it's, I mean, it breaks my heart to say that it, it's not that surprising. Um, but to think that this book would be banned in the very community in which it's set, where the author lives. And yes, it is addressing painful, hard, excruciating topics, but it's, it's 100% real. From NCPR, welcome to Northwards. People, ideas, and conversations from and about northern New York, Vermont, and beyond. I'm Mitch Tyke. Support for the Northwards podcast comes from Joe Steiniger and Mary McDonald in support of the Adirondack Foundation, building stronger Adirondack communities. My son is a sophomore in high school, and like any teenage boy throughout history, I think, his love for reading has kind of wavered up and down, back and forth over the years. But this year, thanks to an English teacher he really loves, the stack of books, I would say on his nightstand, but really it's the corner of the couch that he inhabits, uh, the stack of books has grown once again. I think back on my own English teachers through my school years, and they were really the reason books have always been huge in my life. Mrs. Quillen, my sixth grade teacher, read a couple of books to us out loud that are still such a big part of my life and who I am that if I see a copy of one of those books at a book sale, I almost always buy it. But it's easy to forget that English teachers don't just turn us on to books. They are voracious readers even outside the classroom. I know, amazing. Case in point for today's guest, Kelsey Francis teaches English in Saranac Lake. She's also a storyteller you might have heard on the Howl podcast, a really good storyteller, in fact. Not too long ago, though, she read a new book that was so compelling that it led her down a path she never expected. Kelsey Francis, welcome to Northwards. Well, thanks for having me, Mitch. Uh, so let me start actually by having you rewind the tape of your life uh, for some months. Can you share what it was about Barbara Kingsolver's Demon Copperhead that that so struck a chord with you? Sure. Um, well, I've been, I've been a big fan of her work uh, really since I was in college. And so last year when this book came out, um, I knew some friends were reading it and I didn't get a chance to read it until like late winter, early spring. And honestly, it was from the very first page, uh, the narrator Demon's voice instantly struck me as one very familiar to me as a high school English teacher of 23 years. <laughs> I recognized so many of my former students in his voice. Uh, for people who have not read it, present company included, although I'm, I'm going to have to rectify that. Um, can you give us a quick thumbnail sketch of the novel? Sure, sure. It's a first-person narration um, from the point of view of a young man who goes by the name of Demon. That's not his real name. It's Damien, but everyone calls him Demon. And he lives in the southwest corner of uh, Virginia, very, very southwest corner, in a rural area. Um in Appalachia, not unlike our own here in the North Country. And he's had a heck of a life. He is an orphan. He goes in and out of multiple foster care uh, homes and struggles in school and ultimately battles uh, an opioid addiction and just really has one struggle after another after another. And as you're reading it, you just you can't believe this kid is faced with such hardship. And yet every bit of it is incredibly real. 
So that's sort of a, a summary. And, and we should we should note that this is a, a modernized, Americanized retelling of of Dickens here, correct? Yes, of David Copperfield. Yeah, and uh, Barbara Kingsolver has just a fascinating story about how she was inspired to write the book. Uh, she'd been trying to write sort of the, what she called the great Appalachian novel and couldn't find a way in and was actually uh, on another book tour in England and stayed at Bleak House, which is where Dickens wrote David Copperfield. And it's now a bed and breakfast. Hmm. And while she was staying there, she describes that she was sitting at his desk and sort of was visited by um, the ghost of Charles Dickens. And he told her to let the child tell the story. And she would just like have this aha moment to um, to let, in this case, Demon tell his own story. Well, and kind of kind of amazing to think that in some ways uh, Dickens had had kind of paved the way for the great Appalachian novel. Yes, yes, it's it's pretty remarkable. She said he essentially was her, you know, the framework that she ended up using, and how how great of a writer he was. <laughs> Lay out that framework for her. Uh, and it, it won or it shared the Pulitzer Prize for fiction uh, earlier this year. Um, and I gather then it was important for you to to share this book with your colleagues. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just could not stop thinking about uh, the book after I finished it and was recommending it to people and then went to my school district and said, you know, could we get a few copies for just professional development or you know, see if there would be some people interested in reading it. And it turns out I was actually the second person who had uh, mentioned it to uh, an administrator. And another colleague had already said, you know, I think this book would be really, you know, would be a great read for our staff. And so, yeah, we basically, it was like pitch the idea to the staff and see if anyone's interested. And I thought it might be just me and a few other, you know, uh, book nerds, English teachers. (laughs) Uh, But 75 staff members signed up to read it. Wow. Did this have any precedent? Had you all gotten together and had like a a school-wide read for for faculty and staff in the past? Never. This (laughs) is the first time, and uh, it just blew everybody away, really. And and I'm so glad that um, this was the first book. It just, I I think it it really set the bar (laughs) very high. (laughs) Well, and and beyond that, uh, the the bar was raised even higher because you wrote a letter to Barbara Kingsolver. What, what did you tell her? Yeah, so once I knew that my school district was on board with this as a professional development opportunity, I was just overwhelmed by the number of people who were interested. And then she won the Pulitzer. And I said, oh, my gosh, I, I just I'm going to write to her because maybe maybe we're the first school doing this. Maybe we're not, but I'd need her to know how much this book might as well have been set in the North Country. It, it mean it just, we have so much in common. And so I went on her website and learned that she only takes snail mail and uh, told her what the book meant to me. I told her what my school was doing. I told her how much of, um, how many students just like Demon I have taught over the years and just thanked her. And so I, I dropped it in the mail and then just sort of forgot about it. <laughs> and then two months later, she wrote back to me. Well, and it's weird because we live in this in this time when there really are, for most 
I'll say celebrities or 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 public figures ways of reaching out to them whether whether we send them a tweet or or comment on their Facebook page or uh, or or some other way that you had to sit down and write an honest to God letter seems significant. Yeah, yeah, I have never done anything like that before. <laughs> it's not that I've ever written to a famous author before. I don't know what. I, this book just compelled me to do it. I just I felt like I needed her to know and know, let her know what my community was doing, what my school district was doing, because I thought maybe there's maybe there's other school districts out there that would be interested in doing something similar. So well, and and then the irony is that she writes back to you and you find out kind of the opposite. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a letter from her at the very end of June. Well, she actually emailed me back because I had included my email address. Uh, and she wrote me a lovely response uh, saying how thrilled she was to hear what we were doing and to know what the book meant to me. Um, and then I got to this line where she said, you know, I have a favor to ask of you. And she explained that in her community, the book was to be taught in the AP English literature class. And her publisher had secured copies for that teacher. And then those copies were sort of mysteriously confiscated. Uh, with no sort of like public discussion. And so she asked if I would had time and was willing to write a letter to the superintendent of that school district explaining to him what the book meant to me and what our whole staff was doing, you know, a big portion of our staff was doing, and really just asked me to advocate uh, for the book's value. This is the woman that won the Pulitzer Prize asking you to do this for her. Yes, exactly. Um, I joke that, you know, when she first when I first got to that line that she had a favor, I thought, oh, my gosh, does does she need a kidney? Because (laughs) I'll do whatever she asks. Um, Anything. Uh, This was just it just blew me away. So I immediately responded and said, absolutely, I will do this. And I, you know, just asked for a little bit of information, um, you know, about you know, to who it should be addressed. And, and then I, I actually spent some time online looking up that school district to see what it ha- had in common with mine. I wanted just demographic and learned that we have a lot in common uh, with the kind of kids that we're teaching and the kind of struggles that uh, families are having in, in our communities. And so uh, my letter to that superintendent uh, really sort of tapped into that, like, look, we have a lot in common here. And and this is the value of this book. I think not only your staff should read it, but I think your students, your eight, you know, 12, these are 12th grade English students taking a college level course really deserve to see their, their stories, their community in the literature they read. You know, I just, I hope you reconsider. You're, you're, you're an English teacher and uh, presumably you follow uh, the news of, of book bannings uh, pretty closely. I would imagine that it was probably more of a surprise to hear back from Barbara Kingsolver than to hear that, uh, that a book had been banned. Exactly. Exactly. It's, I mean, it breaks my heart to say that it, it's not that surprising, um, but to think that this book would be banned in the very community in which it's set where the author lives. And yes, it is addressing painful, hard, excruciating topics, but it's it's 100% real, every bit of it. I guess bring us up to date. Um, I, I, I understand you have not heard directly from the superintendent, but maybe maybe things have changed in that district? 
Yes. So when I followed up, basically we just sort of state, I asked to be, you know, please keep, keep me posted on how things develop. And uh, right before my uh, staff met uh, about, um, I guess, just over a week ago to discuss the book, I, I reached out to her office to find out if they had ever heard from the superintendent to see if the book was allowed. And um, she wrote back to me and said that uh, while they never heard from the superintendent directly, that they did get word from the teacher that the books had been returned. And so they took that as a huge success, um, which is exactly had been the goal to begin with, to put books in kids' hands and, you know, just thanked me for, for, you know, what little I, I did. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know, um, you know, if it, if it helped at all, um, I'm sure letters from her also helped, but um, it, I just feel really lucky that she included me in part of this. We were, we were talking about this um, issue uh, around the station and, um, you know, it's funny, you and I actually went uh, to the same um, school district in uh, suburban Maryland where uh, certainly when I was there, there were not a lot of uh, – there weren't there weren't any books being banned. But, I, you know, I wonder if this whole thing has you thinking back to your own high school days and the kinds of things that were controversial in those days and how they were handled versus versus what we're seeing today. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I, I have reflected a lot lately as a as an English teacher in when I hear of all these books being challenged and banned across the country. And I, you know, that was not remotely ever something that came up um, in the district where I grew up and and even where I've now worked for 23 years um, until until, you know, it hit the news a few few years ago that this starts to happen. And and um it's just shocking to me because it feels like we're going back to an era that it's an era I've never even really known <laughs> um, in my lifetime. And uh, just really uh, leaves me quite speechless when I think of the, the irony of, of banning a book and yet children are allowed to you know, walk around with a very, very powerful tool in their pocket <laughs> that will give them access to really anything and everything. But we have to ban books. It's just the irony of that is really stunning. It, it, it does seem to say something about the district where you teach that uh, they were able to find the money to buy copies for every staff member that wanted one. Yeah, yeah, I I couldn't believe it. Um, <laughs> and yet it also speaks to their willingness to support, you know, ideas coming from the staff, which I really appreciated. I, I, I feel really strongly that some of the best um, professional development comes from what teachers are asking they need for and can provide, you know, in-house. And this book, because it had so much in common with our own community, I thought would speak to, to all sorts of people. We had, um, you know, teachers K through 12. We had principals read it. We had uh, administrative assistants read it. We had teaching assistants read it. So, you know, all these individuals who work with and um, have a role to play in the lives of kids uh, read this book, and it it um, it had a profound effect on all of them. The feedback has been remarkable. I, I was just going to say, obviously, they are not here to uh, to characterize their own responses, but but did you get the sense that they they felt the same way about this book that you did? I did, yeah, yeah. Um, and we had a 
just, you know, an evaluation form at the end. And really all of the responses have been um, 100% this book was relevant to my work um, and the importance of, of just deepening the well of empathy, as I'm calling it, that, you know, reading this book and seeing this whole child's life really play out on the page and, you know, understanding the complexities of all of these issues um, is just incredibly moving. Um, and everybody's saying, you know, I think we should do something like this again. So hopefully, hopefully we can. But puts a lot of pressure on you to find the right book, though. <laughs> yeah, or maybe somebody else. <laughs> but no, I would do it again. I absolutely would do it again. But yeah, I don't know if we can ever top Stephen Copperhead. I really don't. <laughs> it does, you know. I, I mean, I think back to when I was a kid, and 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 you know, the the real controversial books were they were all by Judy Bloom. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yep. I remember. It that seems too. like such an innocent time. Yeah. Well, listen, Kelsey Francis, it's a, a remarkable story, and I'm so glad we got to to hear about it from you. And uh, you know, in a in a time when uh, we hear about so many frustrations that teachers are facing in various circumstances, it's it's really nice to hear from someone who seems to have had such a a positive uh, part of their teaching career happen to them. Well, thank you. I I really feel this is this whole experience has been a real highlight, both. Uh, just as an educator and as as a lover of books, for sure. Kelsey Francis is an English teacher at Saranac Lake High School. She and a colleague led an effort to have the school staff read the book Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. That is all for this edition of Northwards. I would love to have your suggestions for future episodes and interviews. You can get in touch through our website, ncpr.org slash northwards. Now, here's Ethan Shanty to tell us who makes this humble production possible, you know, besides himself. Northwards is an NCPR podcast production. The show is written, edited, and produced by Mitch Tyke with digital production supervision by me, Ethan Shanty. Caitlin Kelly handles our social media, Bill Hanel is our digital director, and Doyle Dean is our production manager. Music is by the Wickmore Jazz Trio of Plattsburgh. To support this show and find more podcasts, visit ncpr.org. This is NCPR, North Country Public Radio.